Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. You are listening to Currents, a podcast of Big Ocean Women. I'm today's host, Dana Robb. Welcome to part two of our discussion on the book Hold On to Your Kids by Gordon Neufeld and Gabor Matei. Last episode, we talked about the symptoms and challenges of peer orientation. We talked about why parents need to matter more than peers. This episode will focus more on some ways to reclaim our children and hold on to these relationships. Again, we have guests Emily Judd and Trisha Kelly with us. Let's talk about reclaiming our children. What are some tips for preventing peer orientation? And if we have lost our children to peer orientation, how do we reclaim them? Uh, I've said it before, um, but it's worth saying again, connect before correct. We look at parenting as I'm here to correct my child into being a great adult or a good person. And it's not going to work. We have to connect first. And so for me, largely, that means I have to hold my tongue a lot more than I was used to. Um, When that child walks out the door um, with a jacket on and it's 110, I'm going to say nothing. You know, often we hear pick your battles and you would think it'd be a small thing to say, hey, you probably should take a jacket today or why are you wearing that jacket? (laughs) Um, But if you didn't, if you didn't connect enough that's just going to be one more stick on the pile of mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not enough. She doesn't approve of me. She thinks I'm dumb. You know, might be an interpretation. Mm-hmm. We have to connect before we correct. In the book, they talk about collecting rituals. We have to collect three things. We need to collect their eyes. They need to look at us in the eye. We need to collect a smile, doing something to get them to smile and then a nod. And when we've done that, when we've got their eyes, smiles, and nods, we've collected them, and then we can communicate to them. Then we will be heard. Yeah. Um, I really like how he relates it to a romantic relationship. How when we are pursuing or we want someone to like us, we would do anything to get them to smile or laugh or, you know, like wink at us. I think about that. And look at my child. How would I win her heart right now? How could I win her smiles? How can I show her she is perfect the way she is right now? And I like how he says when he suggests how the, um, when we need to give a direction or switch directions, we collect them first, we hug them and connect with where they are and then say, okay, well, let's go eat dinner. You know, these, these collecting rituals or routines, whatever mm-hmm. we decide we need to do, they need to happen specifically when we have been separated from our children or when or we're sending them away from us. So before yeah. going to school or after school, when they get home or at family meals and special times, what you said, Trisha earlier about, you know, before going to bed, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying goodnight, I'm going to tuck you in and make sure I have that ritual. Mm-hmm. to stay yeah. connected to something, something that we do in my family is because my boys are all athletes. They always are hurting. They always 
have aches everywhere. And so there's a lot of back rubbing that goes on at my house. And it's so appreciated. Mom, will you rub my ribs before my race? You know, they want to open up their paths. Yeah. So that's definitely um, a big one on our list is just lots of back rubs, lots and lots of back rubs. And yes, yeah. here's something I remember. I, I think that you mentioned this at one point, Emily, about how we have to beat them to the punch. We have to mm-hmm. invite that connection before they ask for it, at least some of the time, or else it never actually gets filled. That yeah. need for attachment doesn't get filled when they ask for it. It comes when we offer it before. Yeah. Remember he said, if it's something like a birthday, that's expected. They expect a present. They expect a party. They, whatever your family traditions are, those are to be expected. And those aren't filling his bucket, their bucket. So, um, like I said, I would have a child and he was always the first one to sit next to me. Um, always. So then when I sit down, I never said, Hey, will you come sit next to me? I was always gathering somebody else. It wasn't as aggressive. Mm. And it's, it's disappointing to think that the one that was the most aggressive really had the most empty bucket because Mm -hmm. I was the least intentional on me connecting with that child because I thought, oh, he's had enough, but his bucket was empty. It wasn't full. Like I thought it would be. Yeah. And when they come to us, say, mom, I'm so bored. And you, we might say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you came to see me. I was just thinking, I need to spend more time with you. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that be beautiful? Oh gosh, that would, I would light up if someone would say <laughs> that to me. <laughs> right. But he did make that distinction that just fulfilling their demands is not the kind of nurturing he's talking about, not the kind of collecting. Giving in demands is not collecting. It's spontaneous and initiated by us as parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Will will you go on a walk with me? I just really would. Would you go run an errand with me? You know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'd really like to go get a cookie. Can I go with you? Um, Just want them feeling wanted. Yes. Finding those opportunities. He also talks about finding opportunities for our kids to depend on us to teach them a skill instead of outsourcing everything. If mm-hmm. we have something we're good at finding a way to teach that to our child so that they're depending on us until they really are ready to become independent. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think cooking is such a good way to do that. You know, I'm in the kitchen making these meals and they need to learn how to make meals, you know, and it's, Hey, maybe I want to learn how to do that. Would you like Mm. me to show you how to do this? You know, like, oh, I'd love to cook with you. And then like, oh, she wants me, you know, like, oh, I want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing he talks about is not to solve all their problems. I think we have a tendency to help our children out and to, to, to give them solutions or to help them resolve things. But he talks in there, we didn't mention this too much, but about the importance of futility, reaching a place of futility, coming mm-hmm. to tears and realizing something is not going to work out and I need to accept this. And children who are peer-oriented don't reach futility. And so I've tried to incorporate this with some of my children. I have one child who gets pretty animated about situations and frustrated. And I used to try to talk her through it and I stopped doing that. And I just said, isn't that hard? I'm so, so that that must be really hard. You don't like how this is turning out. And it was so beautiful to watch her go from irritation and frustration to sobbing, the tears falling down her face. 
And then she just walked away and she was all right. I was like, that was beautiful. I, I need to experience that more often where I'm not feeling this pressure to solve the problem. Just uh-huh. hear her out, let her come to tears, bring those tears on. And then she's good. She can move on. I like that. You know how he says, when you see those tears rolling down their cheeks, they're reaching that utility and they can let go. And that's not something that peer oriented children know how to do because they've shut their yeah. emotions down. They don't yeah. reach that futility. I have one child and uh, he holds it in so well, but somehow if I say, can I rub your feet? The tears will just <laughs> pour Aww. out. And then without fail the next day, he goes, I feel so much better today, mom. <laughs> There's something powerful about that release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They we say that you it. need to get mad or get sad. Like yeah. this is our only outlet out. Which avenue are you going to take? Yeah. You know? And so we sing a song. We say, it's all right to cry. Crying makes you feel better. <laughs> oh, I love that. Wow. I, I wanted to share some insights and tips that I got from a couple of friends I was visiting with recently. I, I admire both of these women because, because they have really good relationships with their children. Um, neither of them have read Hold On To Your Kids. And both of them come from very different scenarios. You know, one started parenting in her early 20s and has six kids. The other didn't start parenting until her 40s and has two kids. One has always public schooled her children. and The other has been homeschooling her kids for the last three or four years. Both come from different religious backgrounds. Both come from different states. But they both had at the core the same response, that they are very intentional about what influences they allow into their home. They're intentional about what their kids are exposed to. Um, and I, I would say that they're also very intentional about teaching their religious values. And um, I've, I've got to believe that that's probably one of the most important things. We want strong attachments with our kids. We have to be very intentional knowing that there is so much drawing them away. We have to be careful about what we are allowing to influence them. Um, one thing else that I thought was interesting for my one friend, her six kids all play a musical instrument. And so music is something that brings them together as a family that defines them. They each play at least one or more musical instruments, which they can do separately or they can do together. And it's brought them together and created this bond. And I think that's a great tip. I think having something that defines you as a family that brings you together can help solidify a strong attachment. It's interesting though, at the same time, if the child's not connected. So as a family, we are runners. So we go to races. um, We do these big outdoor backpacking adventures very much. That's our, our family. Um, And then when you have a child that's starting to pull away, then they think, wait, I'm just doing this because the family does this. I'm not, I'm not doing this because I want to do this, you know, because all of a sudden they want to attach to what their peers are. So what Mm -hmm. the kids that I'm interested in this, this child that's I'm, that I'm struggling with, but, but definitely making progress with, he said next year, all I care about is hanging out with my friends. So he has totally detached from the thought of my own future. He's not even connecting with his own future self of, 
what kind of goals do you want? Where do you want to apply to college? What does a career path look like? All I care about is being with a friend next year. Yeah. Yeah. So when parents find themselves in that kind of situation, what do we do to invite that dependence again? Uh, for me, it's it's been some huge, huge sacrifices. And in the book, it talks about how it's almost like an angelic calling because mm-hmm. you are reaching out to serve someone who doesn't want to be served, somebody that doesn't want you, somebody that isn't going to be grateful for what you did, um, somebody that is even going to mistreat you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had an opportunity and the world would tell you to teach that child to be independent, to schedule their own appointment, to um, pay for it and to make it happen. And, and the feeling was, and it was a humble place for me was I need to drop everything I was doing and take two days and go like, it was a two day trip that I needed to make with this child and just communicate he's my number one priority. And they really do. You don't see the fruit of that right away. You know, they're not grateful mm. that you spent a couple hundred bucks on gas in two days um, of your time. And uh, it's hard. It's taxing. Um, mm-hmm. But I am, I am seeing progress. This child has been away um, at school, with another family, a few hours away. And the last three weekends, he's come home every weekend. So that's awesome you know, clearly, you know, it's like, okay, home is someplace that I want to be where that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case. That wasn't the case before, but there's a whole lot of holding your tongue and maybe faking it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, but it does pay off. Right. I think we need to remember that this time of, of active parenting is short and we want those relationships to last forever. And so we've got to put in the effort right now. I know my oldest son moved out. I thought it was a little too early for him. I wanted to keep him close for longer, but um, he turned 18 and he moved out almost immediately. And I really worried. It's actually been a really good thing for him. He's matured a lot in taking ownership of his schedule. But what I've loved is he still comes home quite a bit, almost daily. And I'm, I drop what I'm doing when he comes home to make sure that he gets that person to talk to so that he can stay attached and still allow some influence and guidance Mm -hmm. from me and his dad. I love that. Rather than throwing him out and hoping he's okay. We still have a responsibility to parent and love that to gather our children, to just keep gathering them all the time. Yeah. We're, we're building a, um, an apartment off of the house and my husband wants to wall it all off, right? Like it's separate. And I was like, you know, if the, if the older boys are in that apartment, maybe we should keep a door between the house and the apartment. <laughs> and he's like, why? And I'm like, to make it easy to come to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Keep some of that dependence there as long as possible. Yeah. yeah. I've really changed my perspective about dependence versus independence. Mm-hmm. There is plenty of time for them to be independent. Let's keep oh, yeah. close to us as yeah. long as possible. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what. Um, the first time I read this book was probably like four plus years ago. And what I took away in the gathering was that I was going to start kissing my children. With them being boys and getting bigger and, you know, that pulling away, we kind of stopped, you know, like kissing them goodbye, right? Maybe like a hug or whatnot. But I had had 
um, we had had some soldiers from the UK come and I loved how they greeted everybody. Right. And they, they, you know, you do these kisses on the cheek and I was so fascinated by it. And after I, it was so warm and welcoming and just wholesome feeling. So after I read the book, I decided this is what we're going to do. And it was hard for me. Like it was hard to be that close. Um, it was hard for them, but I love that ritual that we have now that even with the kids that I struggle with, they don't leave without a kiss in the morning. You know, there's still like this and it's, I want to, it's not a mom wants to connect to me like this. And, um, it's not a negative thing at all. It's a beautiful thing, you know, that we always are embracing and kissing. So, yes. Do you remember how the author Newfeld had pulled his kids away when he realized the Mm -hmm. appear attachments? He actually went on like a three day or three. I don't remember exactly the amount of time, but he pulled them completely away until that attachment was reestablished. And it took some time. Initially, there was a lot of balking with the kids, but with his daughters, I think specifically, but he was able to notice that gradual transition back into a healthy attachment with him. My question is like, can I go on a family vacation with all my kids or is the 17 year old going to pull the 15 year old away and they're yeah, going to do right. their own little peer attachment? Because I said to him, yeah, get jobs, but no, we're going for three weeks, you know, to Montana and you're going to be with mom. Right. I, I've given them this whole thing. We're going to Glacier. So we'll be in the car forever. Right. We'll do the no phones but I don't know if I have too many peers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you need to have like a one-on-one weekend? <laughs> That's something we actually did last year. I took each of my kids on a birthday trip and we went a weekend, just the two of us. Okay. Oh, and that was wow. really fun. And did it, it was really fun. I think so. Okay. Yeah. In fact, they're asking for it this year and I'm like, ah, I wish I could do that every year, but can we each get, you know, we, and uh, we, ro- and we might continue rotating. So each year, one person, and it'll rotate through from oldest down to the youngest or something. That seems um, feasible. Yeah. But that was Not, really fun. Yeah. Like finding things that are manageable, especially for single yeah. mothers, you know, yeah. like, I like how they decided on their little trip with each other, how they were going to keep that attachment close when they got home. I didn't yeah. remember that. I, I love that. Yeah. Good and, reminder. He did let them choose where to go. Yeah. And so it was something that they would have wanted to do. Right. Camping for one and the island they went to. It took time before she had no phone where she wanted to cook with him and wanted to hike with him. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it took a couple of days. And he even said, I cringe to think that I almost didn't do it because of the cost and the time off work. Right. Newfeld talked about how the rewards were so worth the effort. He was able to reclaim his daughters and move forward in a much more healthy relationship. Right. Yeah. Anything else that we need to make sure we talk about? There's that post script about the digital age. Yeah. Oh, I would love to get into this. I, we could do a whole we could. podcast. We might have to this. do we might a have. second episode. Right. <laughs> and I also, I think that that's important and equally was being aware of that if you're not willing to make the sacrifice to connect with your kids um, and reconnect, what's the word? The consequences of 
and of a stronger peer orientation and lack of vulnerability is them being sexually active. Oh, and yes. he mm-hmm. talks, he talks about um, that, that sexual relationship is like human cement. And mm-hmm. I loved that. Like it is. they don't understand that they are dealing with human cement and they have two choices. Once you have engaged in that activity And one is to deal with almost like a marriage and a divorce. Your Mm -hmm. body chemically is going to tell you it's a marriage. And when it doesn't work out, you're going to have to go through the divorce. Mm -hmm. And if you can't handle which divorces, you know, are just like tsunamis, if you can't handle that kind of emotional trauma, right, then you're going to have to turn off all feeling. And And that's what happens. You're turning off the light in your life. Mm -hmm. And I just think that it's so important to connect with our kids enough so that they don't start playing with this huge responsibility because in teenagers, there's not intimacy, there's not bonding, there's not sacrifice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're just really playing with human cement and it's going to hurt. Oh yeah. And it cements that vulnerability being shut off Yeah, for future Yes. Marriages and relationships. Yes. Yeah. Good points. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's really important to remember. Human cement. Yeah, there is a really great uh, postscript in the latest edition. So this book was originally um, published in 2003. Then there's a postscript in 2013 is that what it was? Because that still seems like a long time ago. And there is a lot more advancement in the digital age oh, yeah, <laughs> in the is. last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But he talks about, you know, how we, we couldn't have seen, well, we could have predicted what was going to happen when social media came onto the scene. And all it does is feed into that peer orientation, those unhealthy attachments, because they can never be satisfied digitally. And so if you're putting children in front of social media and they are not they do not have healthy attachments, then it is just going to exacerbate them tremendously. Um, I love what he said about Facebook, actually, that Facebook doesn't work because it works. It works because it doesn't work. You have to keep getting on there to try and find that um, uh, um, (laughs) connection and you're never going to get it there. And so you keep seeking after it. If it worked, we wouldn't need it. Um, And that was just an interesting And do you love you love how Instagram now, you know, in um, trying to protect children will give you a, you've finished your feed, right? You've come to the end, you know? And I'm thinking, I don't think that that tells the child that they're fulfilled. Right. No. no. <laughs> right. Right. Um, we set a goal as a family that we wouldn't have any social media with our children. Our children would not have social media until they turned 18 or when they leave the home. And and I think it is healthy to do that a little bit before they leave home. So they have a safe place to navigate that to start with. But it was very rewarding for me when my oldest um, came home a few months ago and was like, mom, probably it was a really good idea that you didn't let me have any social media because he's realizing how addictive and um, how much he is pulled into it. And so that is my advice is to continue holding back. Don't throw that into their laps unless they have really good, healthy attachments. And even then it's just too easy to, to slip. Yeah. It's interesting. My uh, 17 year old, we were trying to decide, normally we did phones. 
um, for ninth grade starting in high school, which is delayed for a lot of people. But because we had had issues um, with the third child, I asked the third child, I said, what should we do for this fourth child? Should we do a phone? And, you know, when he starts high school and he's like, absolutely not. (laughs) So he even can see how the phone Mm. um, pulled him away, you know, from family and light. And so I, so that fourth child actually has an, an iPad that stays at home so he can connect with his peers at home. Um, but it, he doesn't carry it around at school. So he's not always texting. He's really face to face, like in the present with his peers, um, and not having all these multiple conversations we're trying to keep alive, right. All these attachments that we're trying to keep alive all day long. Um, anyways, my 15 year old, my freshman said to me last week, he goes, mom, I want to thank you for the iPad. And I, and I said, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, it's probably a good thing that I don't have my phone. And, um, I said, why do you feel that way? And he said, because I see my friends that have phones and they don't know how to talk to people. They only know how to be on a phone. They're not present mom. Yeah. So th- there were phones are even eroding peer attachment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And if it's eroding peer attachment, what is it doing to the parenting attachment for yeah. the child to the parent? Right. I really would love to see parent educators getting out there in the community, teaching these classes, uh-huh. like the parenting with love and logic. Right. Throw right. You door. don't need the skills if you have the attachment. Oh, the skills will come naturally. Have you guys ever thought about, <laughs> I want to go back to high school and teach psychology. Like, can we please teach these kids how to be parents and how to make connections? Like, you know, you know, the book, um, how to win friends and influence people. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and he says, you know, here I have all these years of degrees and yet I've never had a class on relationships and it's what matters most, you know? <laughs> and I just think like this should be fundamental basics in classrooms. I I've given this book to so many people, but I think my principal is next. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hand it over. <laughs> yeah. You need to know what's going on. And here is, here's a solution. Yes. Yes. It really is. Yeah. Well, there is so much more we could get into. I feel so drawn to this topic in wanting to help others understand attachment so that they can avoid the, um, the immaturity that comes with peer orientation and the delay. Really, there's a, a physiological delay to children's growth when they become peer attached. Um, I think it's devastation. It is. Oh, and, I, and I would, if I could save anybody from what I have partaken of, you know, I, I do, I share this book all the time. Anybody that, you know, wants to listen, yeah. you know, it really is. It's a key to parenting there. There is so much truth in here um, that every parent should have because the world is not teaching truth right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I want to thank you both for being on today. You've shared some valuable insights. Let's keep discussing it and share the value of it. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Dana. You're awesome. As Trisha and Emily and I finished up this conversation, we just wanted to keep brainstorming what 
what else can we do? How can we keep this conversation alive? How can we support each other in our efforts to hold on to our kids? And we decided that we wanted to start a group me conversation. We invite anyone that's interested to be a part of that. We can share success stories. We can ask for advice. We can hold each other accountable. Um, I think it will be a really positive experience to come together and um, unite in this effort because it's going to take all of us to reestablish this type of um, community, this this village mentality of, of helping each other hold on to our kids. You can find a link to that group me chat on Facebook or Instagram and check out other great episodes, resources, and opportunities to get involved through our website, bigoceanwomen.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our guests have been Emily Judd, Trisha Kelly, and myself, Dana Robb, as we've discussed the book, Hold On to Your Kids by Gordon Newfeld. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, Waves, or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.